Do not be afraid any longer, little flock, for your Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Do not be afraid. How can you say that to me, Lord? Don't you see? Like, don't you see all that's going on in the world, in my state, in my family, in my life, my own soul? How can I not be afraid? There's so many threats from without and so many threats from within. Just look at the world. Multiple wars, many more threats. Climates in disaster. I'm praying for rain. I'm not getting rain. I mean, I am getting some, so thank you, Lord. But I want more. But then I look at the state. I look at my country. I see all these godless policies and more in the pipeline. I see these deep divisions. So much rising violence. Violence against the most innocent. How can I not be afraid? Because then I look at my church and I think, oh, this is where things are going to function well. And then I see all sorts of dysfunction. And I see ambiguity even there. Sometimes I'm looking for a clear teaching and I hear one person say one thing and the other one here say another. I look at my family and I realize, thank you, Lord, for my family. But even there, not everything is going to be perfect. And then my soul, ooh, worst of all. I know what's good and I still don't do it. And I know what's bad and for some reason I'm still drawn to that. How, Lord, can I not be afraid? Does that sound at all ever like maybe one of your prayers? There are times that that's my prayer very sincerely. Is that God says so many times, in fact, somebody recently uh, said a quote. I haven't checked it yet, but they said that 365 times in the Bible God says, Do not be afraid. I'd like to check to see if that number is accurate, but I don't doubt it. Because it's all over the place. Old and New Testament, God is saying, be not afraid. And all the time, we look at him and say, are you serious right now? How can I not be afraid? And we might even think, God, are you blind to the reality that I'm seeing? And the answer is no. I'm blind to the reality. And I hate to break it to you, but so are you. We are blind in what has blinded us. Two things. We have been blinded to the deepest reality by the presence of fear and the absence of faith. Fear has become the one thing that we can focus upon and faith has become an afterthought and then, of course, we're only going to see the tiniest little portion of reality. We're going to think, oh, I'm a realist. That's why I'm so angry. No, no, no. You're angry because you chose to be angry. You're angry because you're reacting to your fear, not being guided by your faith. You are impulsive in so many of your decisions, not because that's what the situation calls for. No, you started doing that because you're in a constant state of fear. And that's why the Lord says to you, do not be afraid any longer, my little flock. When he says little flock, he says the flock that is so little that I get how weak you are. I get that you need to be taken care of. And that's literally what I'm here for as the good shepherd. So what are you afraid of? Right? That's a very good way for us to reflect every single day. What were my fears today? It's good frequently to think, what am I afraid of and why? Because misguided fear 
is what's ruining your life and destroying your soul. So we do dumb things when we're afraid. We get into that fight or flight. And we end up acting in a way that we never would have planned on acting. We end up being reactive in almost everything that we do. We end up being guarded and defensive against the ones that love us most and especially the one who loves us most. We keep him at an arm's length because we're scared. We're scared of what? Maybe it's fear of the unknown. Maybe it's fear that he's going to call me to something more than I'm capable of. Maybe it's fear of change, of him calling me to change a habit, or him calling me to change uh, something in my life. Maybe it's fear of not being enough. That life is just going to have demands on me that I'm not up to. Maybe it's fear of humiliation, of trying and failing. And doing so in a way that people can point that finger and say, I told you so. Maybe it's fear of making a mistake. Fear of being wrong. So I'm not going to have any strong convictions because I don't ever want to be proven wrong in any of them. So I'm just not even going to think about the deepest questions. Instead, I'm just going to distract myself with this thing or that thing. Our fears are many. But we bring them all to the Lord here. And he says to us, do not be afraid any longer, little flock. Now, how can we not be afraid? Well, we can stop being guided by our fear or controlled, tyrannized really, only if we have the gift of faith. But first we have to understand what faith is. Because too often, our thought of faith is faith means I turn off my brain and I just say whatever that guy with the microphone tells me. That's what I believe, what he says. Oh gosh, that is not the Catholic conception of faith. The Catholic conception of faith is beautifully summarized um, in the definition of theology given by, I believe it was St. Ambrose. He said, it's fidens querens uh, intellectum. Oh gosh, I hope I got that right, but if I didn't, I don't know if you're going to call me on it. It was faith-seeking understanding. Right? Faith is not just something that I shut my brain off. No. Faith is being able to believe something based on the testimony of another. But that other has to be trustworthy. It's not just believing whatever the myth is of the day. It is not just believing whatever is going to make me feel a little bit better, even if it makes no sense. No. Faith should seek understanding. It works hand in hand with reason. Faith is being able to see through the eyes of another. We do it in a natural sense all the time. If I ask you how you're doing, I have to take that on faith, right? Because I'm not within your soul feeling what you're feeling. I could doubt everything. I could be just the ultimate skeptic. And somebody tells me something like, I could ask you, what's your name? You say, Sean. I say, I doubt that. (laughs) I don't think that's true. Prove it. And I can treat every single human interaction the way that I treat religion, and I would be the biggest curmudgeon that you would ever meet. I would say, what time is it? You would say, it is what? Uh, Getting close to nine, and I would say, like, "Mm, I don't trust your watch. You've got to show me eight different atomic clocks before I'm going to believe anything that you say. But faith is accepting the testimony of another that we've found to be trustworthy. And supernatural faith 
is believing that which God has revealed. But you might say there are so many different claims to God's revelation, so many different religions. How can I know that mine is true? That's where you use the reason. You see where there might be logical contradictions. You look at the explanations that are being offered, but above all, you look to Jesus Christ. And you realize that God entered history specifically so that we can have a deeper, a more stable handhold on revealed truth. That in Jesus Christ, this was not just the myths of the ancient Greeks, where they didn't say at this particular time and place, this specific figure lived and he was God. No, it was much more of this distant, uh, on this Mount Olympus, there far away. Don't try to go there because you're not going to find the gods there. That's where they all live. All of the myths that preceded Judaism and Christianity or lived alongside them, They didn't have claims to historicity. Jesus Christ does. He lived. He walked. He taught. We have historical record of it. And you might say, well, we have historical record of Muhammad. We have historical record of so many different figures. What does that prove? Well, his claims are a little different than those of these other figures. He, through his teaching, made it very clear that he was God himself equal to the Father, co-equal to the Holy Spirit. And you might say, okay, so that was his claim. How did he back it up? Any of you visited Jesus' gravesite any time recently? Is he there? No. The resurrection is ultimately where we stake our claim to truth because we recognize God himself visited humanity. He had prepared us for it with every single religion reaching out to him. And then with his relationship to Israel, where he prepared a people to receive the Savior. And then God himself lived among us. And you might say, well, but how cruel is it that God has revealed this and only just a few of us have been able to latch on to that revelation and so many more live without it. And that's not God's fault. That's mine and yours. We don't evangelize. We have the fullness of the truth. We have that that faith that has been revealed by a trustworthy God. We have everything that we need to conquer our fear, and we keep it to ourselves. Or we don't dive into it deeply enough to really, truly believe it and live it out. And yet, that's the secret. Because... Friends, we're going to be living under the dictatorship of our many fears until we start living out of a place of faith. Faith being that extension to my own natural vision, right? I can see very often only the fears and the negative and the problems. God sees beyond that. Ultimately, the reason why I fear anything that I fear so dreadfully is the same for all of my fears. You know what it is? I don't believe dad is strong enough to get me through this. Ultimately, that's where the breakdown occurs. That I cannot see by faith that God, my father, will get me through this. I don't believe or trust nearly enough that God can get me through fill in the blank. And I think my life will be over if X, Y, or Z happens. And you know your fears better than I know your fears, but God knows your fears even better, so give them to him. 
By faith, trust that dad will carry you through it. That he is stronger than your strongest fears. That say every single one of your fears is realized. That the worst possible things happen. Does that change who your dad is? No. Does that make him any less strong, any less capable of carrying you through it? No. And you see, we have beautiful examples of this. In that reading from the letter to the Hebrews, we have this walk through the life of Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place, not knowing where he was to go. How about our fear of the unknown, our fear of change, our fear of being called to something that we don't know if we're going to be able to handle? It was by faith that Abraham was able to do that. And that set the whole trajectory in motion that would lead to Christ coming to earth. By faith he journeyed in the promised land as in a foreign country. What if our fear is of discomfort, of being an outsider, of not being fully understood? It was by faith that Abraham entered into that fear and journeyed beyond it into the promise of God. By faith, he received power to generate even though he was past the normal age. That fear of not being capable of something, of God calling me to the impossible. Maybe that fear that he might be calling me to a priestly vocation or a religious vocation. I just think, no, I can't possibly be happy in that. If God was able to make a sterile woman and a man past childbearing, or past the age at which he should generate a child, be able to bring forth Isaac. He can do incredible things through you. That wasn't even the greatest miracle that he would have in hand. Right later on, he has a virgin give birth. This God specializes in impossible cases, in inadequate people like you, like me. Because it's not about our capacity, it's about his. And then, this one, this one kind of hurts us. By faith, Abraham, when put to the test, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was ready to offer his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac, descendants shall bear your name. How about fear of your plans, your future that you love so much being taken away from you? By God. Ooh, that's, that's a big one that we fear. We fear that God is going to call us to something that we're going to resent him for. We're, we're, we're scared maybe of our own emotions. We're scared of our future being taken away from us. And yet, what was it that Abraham believed that allowed him to say, God, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm just going to follow you step by step. We get the key to it at the very end of this reading. He reasoned that God was able to raise even from the dead, and he received Isaac back as a symbol. You see what he did there? That, that, that terrifying chapter in Genesis where there's the would-be sacrifice of Isaac. It wasn't a murderous God seeking the blood of humanity. It was God revealing his true face is the face of a father who will willingly give himself up before he takes anything from us. 
Right? Remember, the son that was sacrificed was God himself, willingly saying, I will take your place. And the only reason why Abraham was willing to even raise that knife was because he knew who God is by faith. He knew that this was not a God of death, but a God of life, a God that would figure it out, a God that would make sure that this terrible thing did not have to be terrible. And so it was. God revealed himself as he truly was. But first, Abraham needed to have that faith, that trust in God, that belief in who he is, in order to enter into his fears, journey beyond them, and be able to reach that point of his life. A lot of us might feel like we're not there. We're just kind of drifting. We might think that the faith is so hard and we're just kind of on the borderland between truly investing ourselves and just kind of staying as a spectator. It's fear that's keeping us from the God who loves us. So at this Mass, we offer him our fear. With the chalice and with the paten, with all that I raise up to the Lord, raise your fears. Just, just say to God, this is what I am so scared of. Give it to him and ask him to transform that fear into faith. Just as he transforms bread and wine into his body and blood. So that you can live with faith. And through that faith, find the love that God has for you. The courage with which to live your life. And the joy that is the result of living a life of faith.